What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another very special episode of Your Welcome. Well, guys, the big trilogy fight between Dustin and Connor is almost here tomorrow night. It all goes down coming up on today's show. I will give you my official predictions for the main and co-main events of UFC 264 plus Sugar Sean O'Malley has spoken his mind and so has Michael Bisping. That's all coming up later, but let's begin today's show with some news that just came out. I was told that Nick Diaz is going to be fighting Robbie Lawler. It's going to be a rematch from a fight that was in like 2003. Okay, great. Two different guys. It will be part two in a co-main event spot. I was just told this. My first reaction, I don't buy this. This does not this does not sound right to me. It most certainly doesn't feel right to me. A co-main event spot for Nick Diaz, right off the bat, is surprising. It's Mr. Triathlete, who likes to go longer rounds. Now, I'm the first to suggest when a fighter's had a break and he comes back, dip your toe in before you, you dive into the, the tub, come and do three rounds, but I also know Nick's mindset, and that isn't it. So it surprises me. I'm just telling you right now. I also don't know what they would be fighting about. I don't know why we're here. And that would be unusual for a Diaz fight. It would also be unusual for a co-main event spot. I got to talk about this as this is topical. I don't have the sources. I was literally told by someone. So I'm going to dig into this and I might get back to you guys. I'm just telling you right now, I, I don't know that I believe that's accurate information. There's some stuff there that appears to be missing. And what would they be fighting for? What would it be about? I understood Nick versus Chemayev, right? Dana talked about that. Here's the direction that we're going. I see that we didn't get there. But I understood that full well. If Nick's coming back, that's the foray to do it. How, how can we get Nick a bump and get him back in a main event and or a title shot? Boom, get through Chemayev. How can we get Chemayev? some shine. If he's the next big thing, get him in there with Nick Diaz. I just understood it. And I also understood that this really would have something to do with competitive architecture, at least in a rankings standpoint. If Nick went out and fought Robbie and Nick wins, what do you do with Nick? And I understand we can just do this again, go find another Robbie, another non-meaningful fight that has nothing to do with the rankings that drives nobody closer to a main event or a championship fight. That would be rare. It's generally not what the UFC does. But you could. Let me ask you the same question. What happens with Robbie if he beats Nick? And you're stuck with the same answer. Oh, yes, of course you can make a fight, and of course you could bring him back, and of course it's not going to be a championship fight or a contender's fight because nothing like that was on the line. But again, that would not be in line policy-wise with the direction that the organization usually goes. So I'm light on the idea. I'm light on it. I don't know that I believe that's going to happen. If it does happen, I think finding why are we here, what is this for, is going to be tough. Because you're sure not going to get it from Robbie. He's not going to tell you anything. You're sure not going to get it from Nick. He's not going to tell you anything. Now the audience has three rounds with a very high-paid guy who's not on the top of the bill. I mean, are they just are these guys a supporting cast and there's some main event that's yet to be, yet to be revealed? I, I got to tell you, I'm a little light on information. I didn't even get this from a website. I don't know who where this statement came from. I was just told this, okay? 
I don't buy it. I do not believe that Nick Diaz is fighting Robbie Lawler. Okay, guys, now that we have that news out of the way, let's turn our attentions toward everything UFC 264, beginning with the first fight on the main card. Sugar Sean O'Malley put out a very interesting interview today. In this regard, he's about to fight a gentleman who is not ranked. Sean is saying from his inner circle, from what he hears, I would imagine that social media, friends, text messages, he said people are mad that I'm not fighting a ranked guy. He goes, I've never fought a ranked guy. Oh, by the way, I'm not ranked. I've never even been offered a ranked guy. I don't know what to do. Well, first thing you do, Sean, you don't do a damn thing different. People need to be copying you and not vice versa. And anybody that's telling you you need to fight a ranked guy, for what? For a ranking? I'll listen to it. For what do you want to fight a ranked guy? So that you can have a ranking? Okay, great. Why? What are you going to do with that? See it on some .com, print it out, and hope that your grandchildren see it someday? Was it ever your goal, Sean, when you started this, to be a ranked guy? Yeah, I really want to be ranked. What do you want to be ranked? Well, I want to, I want to be the champion. No, no, no. Champion's different. You just said ranked. What do you want to be ranked? Seems like a really weird thing to set your life aside, dedicate, and go do. You're never going to be recognized for it. it the rankings exist somewhere on what I presume to be a .com, of which nobody has told me because I have literally never seen them, and I live in this sport. But if that is your goal, what do you want to be ranked? So all of a sudden, we start breaking it down, right? Talking directly to Sean. Sean, we start breaking this down. You never did want to be ranked. But the ranking was a step in the direction of the championship match, which is what you want to do. Okay, great. I'll listen to that. But how many ranked guys do you have to fight? I mean, if you do it right, you'll fight one. He'll be ranked one. You will take his spot, and then you will go right into a championship match. Why would anybody have a strategy to fight? Well, you know, there's 15 spots, and so uh, why don't I start with number 14, and then we'll see if we can get to 11, and then we'll see what the number 8 guy is up to, and then I'm going to check in on, on number 5, and I imagine since that's going to take me three damn years to get to that fight, it's going to be a different opponent than I ever planned for anyway because they change left and right, and they don't matter. Right? I mean, you hear guys say this all the time. Well, I'm ranked number eight, so I, it gives me six guys to fight, and anybody going the other way, this doesn't make any sense. For what? None of it made any sense. To have a goal to be ranked doesn't make any sense, unless you say it's a stepping stone to move me in the other direction. We don't go fight, fight a bunch of ranked guys for. For what? They sound like they would be better than the unranked guys. Don't you want to fight the worst guy possible? And I realize there's no light lifting around here. The UFC, there's there's no light lifting around here. At the same time, if you're making your play, what kind of a goal would it be? Who are these people that are advising you to fight a ranked guy? How would they know, for one? How do these people know some, that I don't? I exist in this sport. I don't know what anybody's ranked. I learned that Sean isn't ranked when Sean did this interview and said, I'm not ranked. That stunned me. That very much surprises me. Sean should have a ranking, for sure. The fact that he beat a trained fighter while limping around on one leg should prove to you that he deserves a rank. But if he's not, okay, great. Uh, fine. But before you answer these people, before, Sean, you say, I, I don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. You're doing it. You're doing it. You agree to dates when your phone rings. You then train and prepare for those dates. You make weight. You make the walk when your music hits those speakers. The rest of it, my friend, I promise you, will take care of itself. 
So Sean O'Malley just finished his press day for the fight on Saturday. Somebody was asking him about Conor McGregor and trying to make the comparison to O'Malley and Conor. Here's how O'Malley responded. I think the first time I watched him fight, meaning Conor, was against Max Holloway. There's just something about him. I was like, damn, I want to watch him fight again. I want to continue to watch. I've watched every single interview he's ever done. I've watched all of his fights multiple times. I like the way that he carries himself. A lot of people say that I try to be like Conor. You can have two people that have similar personalities. Oh, you try to dress like Conor. You try to fight like Conor. You try to act like Conor. That's not true. I definitely have taken bits and pieces and learned from him, which is a smart thing to do. Learn from someone who has been successful at what you're trying to be successful at. But yeah, he's definitely inspired me a ton. The way he carries himself, the way he handles pressure, the way he gets into big fights. I've learned a lot from him. Now, I love that because he's telling the truth. There is nothing wrong with seeing somebody, and there's a skill in this, by the way. There's a skill in identifying, right? Somebody's got to be creative. Somebody's got to be the first, but that's a rare gene. You can have equal success if you're good at identifying what it is that made it work and how and what characteristics you naturally possess. And you can turn it up a little bit by being influenced by somebody else. I mean, I got to tell you, I remember my days in college. If you took what somebody else did put that into a paper and did not mention you took it from them, that's called plagiarism. If you take from three people and admit in the form of a notation where you took it from, it's called research. And it's it's one of these things where you don't ever have to hide behind it. If O'Malley saw Connor wear a wild and crazy shirt, so he went to the store and got himself a wild and crazy shirt. It's not copying Connor. He was able to identify with a guy this case McGregor, who's good at getting attention, staying in the public's eye, invoking an emotion, and being remembered when it's done. Those are great things. That's great study. That's great research by O'Malley. And if he wants to say, I got my shirts from Connor, and I got my hair from Askren, and I got my kicks from Adesanya, it's called research. He did a good job. But one way to deal with that is to always admit to it. You can pay homage. Somebody will say, you ripped this guy off. I didn't rip him off. I didn't do gimmick infringement. I am paying homage to him. I liked that guy who retired two decades ago. I remember the robe that he wore. I remember a catchphrase that he had. I remember how he got the attention of the audience. And I'm paying homage back. And the greats will appreciate that. And the greats will always do what Sean just did, which is to admit and spread the butter around. They won't come in and say it was all me. I see people in Hollywood like this all the time. One thing that people hate to do in Hollywood is to share what's known as credit. It's got to be all theirs. All the ideas was there and this whole thing came and it was all because of me. The ones that are good at sharing credit are the ones that continue to stay in the business, right? And this is the entertainment business. I just like that Sean did it. I just wanted to bring it to your guys' attention. It was smart. It was very well done. Adesanya, who puts out as good of interviews as you're going to see in all of sport right now, will tell you, will tell you openly, I think about this stuff all the time. I practice in the mirror. I try to judge what I'm going to be asked, and I try to judge the best way, even within the tone and the influx of my response, to make sure that it's heard and remembered. That's great stuff. I had somebody trying to judge me down one time. 
they were judging me down because there used to be something called Q&As. I don't think they do the Q&A anymore. But there used to be a question and answer. It happened right before the weigh-ins. So all the people come in, they're there to watch the weigh-ins. A way to kind of get them in there is then some athlete would go on stage with a microphone, audience has a microphone, pass it around, ask a question, athlete answers. I mean, I'm explaining what a Q&A to you guys is, but in case you didn't know, it used to be a very common place. It was built into fight week. It was something that people anticipated and looked forward to going to. I did a couple of Q&As. So of course I had pocketed responses. Of course I did. Of course I had a good idea and a feel for where I was at, what was going on in my point of the career. The mere fact that these people are going to come, I'm the only one doing a Q&A, means that they kind of follow my career. I would have a pretty good trajectory as to what it is they're going to ask me. And the whole thing's an hour long. When I say you got a couple, yeah, you got you got two or three pocketed, and the rest of the time you're up there spitballing, but that's okay. That's okay. And I had somebody found out they were with a network, okay? The network we used to be at. And they asked me, pulled me aside, and said, you know, I used to be so impressed but now I'm real. I saw you reading something that you had folded up right before you went on stage. And I saw you put it back into your pocket. I think that you had rehearsed lines. <laughs> yeah, you got it exactly right. If I took that note out right now, there was some lines. I've never gone into a test without studying ahead of time. I've never shown up for work without getting a good night's sleep and packing my lunch the day before. Being prepared isn't something that you have to apologize for. Now, some of the guys that get knocked down are the ones that refuse to share the credit. They want to make it all and take it all themselves. They were the creative genius, and it bothers them if they weren't. The greatest voice in the history of recorded sound is Frank Sinatra. And Sinatra, when he used to go on stage would, without exception, every time prior to the band ever firing up the acoustics say, this song was written by, and he'd state who it was and give that guy credit. He would then sing the song in a beautiful voice, and the only one that you're noticing, the only one that you remember is Sinatra, but that guy who wrote the song sure appreciated that Frank didn't try to just take credit for everything. There's a reason you're in the tuxedo holding the microphone in front of a sold-out audience, Frank. But I'm one of those reasons, and I helped you. And guess what? I'm now going to continue to help you because you spread the credit. It's the same thing Sean O'Malley just did. He could have lied. So I barely even know who Connor is. Connor comes. To, Connor thanks me for stuff all the time. You should, you should see our text threads. He could have lied. Why? Why would he? What's wrong with saying I've been influenced and I've been identified by a guy who sold more tickets than me and won more belts than me? I'd like to do what he does. I, I'm not done copying him. I'm still working on that left hand, as a matter of fact. What's wrong with that? Why can't he bring us on that journey? Why can't he share the credit? Sean O'Malley never gets them wrong. I haven't seen him get one wrong yet. I got to give Adesanya that, that, that same credit. I've seen Connor be wrong. Connor's got a couple of misses. He's done it a lot more. He's been in front of the camera when that red light's blink. He's had more opportunity to screw up. I've never, I haven't seen O'Malley or Adesanya. I mean, I feel like these guys are in competition right now, whether they know it. I'm keeping track. I'm keeping score. One of them's going to screw up. The other one's not. I'll let you know who it is once it happens. So the Sugar Show kicks off the main card. And I got to tell you, I'm excited for that fight. But also going down on Saturday night is a very meaningful welterweight bout between Gilbert Burns and Wonderboy Thompson. And I'm ready to tell you what I think is going to go down in the co-main event. 
My official prediction for Gilbert Burns versus Wonder Boy. I'm taking Wonder Boy. Oh, by the way, before you guys say Chael, I watched you yesterday and you said Gilbert. Yeah, I know I did. I might switch it again. This is one of the weirder matches as I close my eyes and visualize. So I try to see what's going to happen. Think what Gilbert did to other like opponents or think what Wonder Boy did to other like opponents. It's tough. Gilbert Burns is coming off a loss by knockout. What does that mean? Well, in the boxing world, it means a lot. Not as much in MMA. But it still exists, right? In the boxing world, if you get knocked out, you now come out tentative. You come out scared. You were naive before ever being knocked out. You didn't know what you didn't know. Now you're aware of it, and now you fear it. Changes, guys. Changes their offense. Changes where they want fights. I think for anybody that's facing Wonder Boy and knows how dynamic and tricky and awkward he is, I mean, Wonder Boy's a pain in the ass for anybody, let alone a guy like Gilbert that's very straightforward, workmanlike. Walk you down, bury that chin, start throwing, natural power, stays real busy, can mix in the wrestling with the shots. Wonder Boy's going to hit him a lot. That might be in the leg. That might be in the ribs. That might be some kicks to the face. You never know with Wonder Boy. And if you are Gilbert, and Gilbert's anything like a lot of boxers we've seen, and it's less in MMA, I'm aware of that, but if, okay? And it still does exist, even if lesser, in our sport, which is how do you approach your fight right after the fight where you got knocked out? Great, easy answer. Take the guy down. I'm questioning myself on my feet. I lost a little bit of confidence. I'm going to take him down. That's easier said than done with Wonder Boy, who works out with Weidman daily. Just a hard guy to take down. So then I am left with the question, okay, I personally believe this is going to be a stand-up fight. I personally believe they're going to have to stand up. Is the power and the activity from Burns enough to stymie the awkwardness and the reach and the distance management by Wonder Boy. That's what I'm left with. And that's why I'm changing. And that's why I'm asking you guys to forgive me if I do it again. It's a very tough match to try to guess. I also don't know how real the narrative, if it stays on the feet, it goes to Wonder Boy. I don't know how true that is. I wasn't overly impressed with Gilbert Burns' stand-up until about 24 to 30 months ago. Then he starts hurting people on his feet. He hurt Usman on his feet. I only share with you that I don't think any narrative or claim going to this fight is an absolute. I also acknowledge that I personally am betting against Gilbert being able to drag Wonder Boy down at least at will which would leave you in a stand-up battle against a guy who just got knocked out and could be questioning himself. You know what I'd like? I'd like to hear from you guys. I read the comments. Give me some. Who do you think wins and why? All right, guys. Let's spend the rest of the show talking about the main event and beyond beginning with a UFC 264 secret that I'm just learning about. RDA is going to be the backup fighter for this weekend's fight, Connor versus Dustin. Now, this information just got revealed. This just came out an hour before I 
sat down here to talk to you guys. I love the backup fighter. It does make me have questions. RDA, does he qualify to step in to such a big fight? Of course he does. He's been signed before to take on Connor in main events. I don't need to sell RDA on you. But the fact that I found out an hour ago that RDA is in full training camp, has a license in place, and is prepared to make weight, not to mention he's in Vegas right now with his team just in, just, just in case. I just found this out. Secrets in this business are almost impossible to keep. So does that mean that Connor knew? Does that mean that Dustin knew? If Connor and Dustin did know, then they must have also accepted in some fashion. Or if they were like me and they did not know, then they're going to accept the backup fight in some fashion. And guess what? No one cares. I'm talking about between Dustin and Poirier. They don't care. RDA does not know who he's going to fight or if he is going to fight. He doesn't care. These are the good old days right here. It is so refreshing to be working with people that have this mindset. And I don't have all the answers. I do not know if Connor and I don't know how the backup guy works. Hey, RDA, do you want to fill in for this fight? Okay, great. Probably not going to fight at all. Here's how we're going to work it out. Get your license. Get your training. It's just in case. All right, I'm in. All right, I understand that one. Probably the way I acted it out. I'm probably 95% accurate on how it actually went. Do you then call Connor and go, hey, by the way, nothing changes for your participation. Your opponent might be 100% different, who you have not thought of or prepared for at all, and his name is going to be RDA, but that's only going to come in the instant that something happens at the scale with Dustin. Okay, great. Like, Connor, the hardest guy in the world to get a deal done with, if it's a backup guy, okay, great, and hangs up the phone. Think of Poirier. Poirier, who said no to a championship fight to get red panty night because it's real, is now agreeing to step in and take RDA, perhaps, and has no problem with it. There's something there that isn't right. Like something that, I, the way I just laid out for you guys, I am missing something. And I'd like to know what I'm missing because... If I'm missing the fact that they were ever asked in the first place, if I'm missing the fact that they knew all along there could be a backup fighter who used to be the world champion, who's completely fresh, motivated, and ready to go, and they agreed to it like it was nothing, that's impressive. I will love that. I will love more if I'm right that they didn't know. They didn't know and they weren't asked. You're expected to do a job. Here's when the job's going to be. It's the same job different opponent. That's also very cool to me, but this is also the good old day. I love that mindset. Conor McGregor had a statement on this fight when it came out that RDA was a backup fighter. Conor said, don't make him back. Put him in the ring. Put him in the ring with Dustin. I'll fight them both. I realize that that's tough talk. It doesn't matter to me. This is the good old day. This is the way it used to be. This used to be tournaments where even if you knew who was going to be there, you didn't have the foggiest idea who was going to advance. That's how real sport is done. That's what the NCAA does. That's It's Olympic year, guys. You know I get Olympic fever. I'm an Olympic fan, but that's what the Olympics does. Even once you narrow down to who the players in the field are going to be, every single sporting event they do, all of them, from beach volleyball to track and field to the wrestling to the boxing to the gymnastics, it's a tournament. You do not know who you're going to see 45 minutes later. 
And to those athletes, it doesn't matter. They have a job. They are going to go out there and perform with their strategies to the best of their abilities as they prepared. And they're not going to think about who's standing across from them. It's got nothing to do with the performance that they need to go put on. It's very honorable. It's normal. It's the way all sports are done. It's the way this sport used to be done. And it's one of those things where, why is it so easy to get the backup guy agreed to? Why? Does everybody just, right now, they've yet to put their foot down and they all just agree with the backup fighter? Are they not even told? And it's going to be one of those situations. Maybe. I don't have a problem with it either way. All I can tell you is it works. And everybody that's had any involvement in one of these potential backup guys stepping in has never complained. The closest we ever had to a complaint is when Kamara Usman was going to fill in the Woodley-Till fight. And Woodley said, I will not be fighting Usman. However, before anybody panics, I will be fighting Till no matter what. Meaning, even if Till misses weight, I will still fight him. But he's who I'm prepared to fight. Okay, great. Nothing to see here. All worked out perfectly. But I can't help but look at this mindset and not be very appreciative to everybody involved. I love what Connor said. Put him in there anyway. Bring him too. Dustin, bring this guy along. I mean, it's, it's one of these things. But Why? Why is the backup fighter so wildly accepted and so easy to get done? Yet we can't get somebody like John Jones to fight at all. You have guys that are willing to potentially fight somebody who is not who they plan to fight or agree to fight or did mean to fight or, or prepared to fight, but they will do it. You can't get a phone call with a guy to fight another specific guy. Now, the answer, I think, is a little bit clear as it pertains to John. He just doesn't want to fight Francis, right? He just doesn't want to fight Francis. I think, I think, it seems like anytime you find a reason to not do something, it's never the reason that you put out there, right? And you guys have done this, but you've also heard other people do it. It's not about the money, but then all they talk about is the money, right? <laughs> says nothing to do with money, but then all they talk about is the money. The money represents respect. It represents appreciation. It represents, but it's always about the money that they're saying it was never about. I just look at that and I go, okay, we don't want to force anybody to do this, right? And even as it pertains to John, it needs to stay encouraging. Hey, John, like it or not, we enjoy watching your performance. And we realize that we've got a very limited amount of them still left. Can we encourage you to do this? But instead of doing that, we go to playground antics and go, you're scared of this guy. This guy's going to beat you. What if he is? So what? What John doesn't have the right to be scared of somebody every now and then? So what if he is? It still comes down to it's a volunteer army. Do you want to do it or not? And we saw this tested with the heavyweight speaking of Francis. We saw this tested recently as a week ago where Francis did not want to fight prior to September. I don't know any more details than that, but that was Francis's own side putting that out. No problem. You're not gonna. And Dana came out almost as though Dana had to justify, which is wrong for whoever put him in that spot. Dana should not have to justify why he's providing an opportunity to two very deserving athletes, in this case, Surreal and Derek. But he did. And he explained it extremely candidly, which is the venue is booked, the venue is in Houston. Derek is a big star in Houston, and we're going to use Derek on that card. In a main event, we wanted it to be against Francis for the title. 
it's still for the title, but it's not going to be with Francis. Like the, the mere fact that Dana had to explain this, I thought was weird because there was nothing inappropriate about this. Nobody got slighted. We didn't take that belt off Francis, by the way. And don't forget that. Many people like from day one didn't see this thing clearly. There was no punishment to Francis. There is an opportunity, right? One door closes, another door opens. You've heard the expression, but it's very true. It provided an opportunity now, not only for Derek, but also for Surreal. Good for those guys. Nobody did anything weird. And when I do look at it and can't figure out why we can't get John to the table, for me, that's more of just interesting. That's interesting. Why are guys like RDA willing to go through full training camps, get all the paperwork done, make weight, not be thanked, and more than likely not even get an opportunity to compete? And why do guys like Connor and Dustin, who have sold more tickets than John Jones ever did, why don't they care? Why are they not complaining? Why is there not a back and forth because the guy's a backup guy? But if he was the principal guy, you could bet your ass we'd have all had to hear about it for two or three months before it got done. I don't have an answer to this. It's just a phenomenon, but it's an interesting phenomenon. And whoever is making these phone calls at the office and getting these backup guys in position, that guy is damn good at what he does and needs to extend that, needs to extend this attitude, this willingness to compete to follow through on your word with your dream and the position on the card that you've already committed that you're going to be on. All seems very basic. Every other sport in the world does it, except ours. We got a lot of pretend tough guys over here. Apparently, RDA, Connor, and Dustin are real tough guys. In a moment, I'll give you my official prediction for Poirier versus McGregor. But before that, there's a Dustin Poirier video going around, and I've got some thoughts on it. Let's break this down. So you've probably seen sparring footage of Dustin Poirier released. How do we interpret this footage? Is Poirier a bad guy? Did Poirier do something wrong? So... I'm trusting you've seen this. If you've been under a rock, at least allow me to set this up. Establishing shot, only shot, outside of the cage. Workout room, presumably ATT. Poirier in full gear, which means shin pads, gloves, headgear, partner, just gloves. It looks like they're sparring boxing even though they're in a cage. I don't know. Could have been straight up MMA. All I know is the exchange that came out was lefts and right hands by Poirier, which put his opponent down. Now, the opponent wasn't knocked out. He was hurt. He took a big shot. He happened to be up against the fence, and he just sat himself right down. That is the universal sign for step back and give me a minute. Something happened, and I need a minute. Okay, Dustin stepped back and gave said minute. That looked right to me. That looked like what should happen to me. But the video was put out as a way to make Dustin look like a bad guy, so I want to know. Okay, here, let me look at this again. I must have missed something. The diamond was a dirt bag here. I got to find out why. So I rewatch it again. I don't see it. And I'm looking for it now, but I don't see it. What did Dustin do wrong? There was comments on this that had to do with the gear. That Dustin was in headgear and his partner wasn't, and therefore Dustin should not have been the one throwing the knockout punches. Now, I would only correct that to tell you my own experience with that, but I always wore headgear. And I had many teammates over the years, regardless of what we learned and what safety 
protocols we found can be helpful with headgear. I had so many teammates that didn't wear them and they would even tease somebody that did or they would say, you know, that's for wimps. I would actually hear this. Go, man, that's for somebody that's trying to protect themselves and that seems wise, but it's a personal choice and I bring that to you because there is no code in the gym that if one guy's in headgear, he gets to throw differently than the guy that's throwing at him or vice versa. It's a personal choice to wear the headgear. My coach, Clayton Hires, required it. I don't bring my headgear. I don't bring my mouthpiece. I go home. Simple as that. I do not get to get on the mat. So that was me. I had no choice, but I believed in them. Anyway, if I had a partner that wasn't wearing them, just so you understand, there is no unwritten agreement on how we're going to handle this. Just personal choice. Be simple as that. You wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't even think that you're wearing yours. It would just be a habit. You put it on. You wouldn't even think to tell him, hey, go put some on. He's a grown-ass man. He knows all about it. He's likely got him in the bag. And some guys don't like to wear headgear. One for the, the, the whip reason, which I don't know where that came from. I really don't agree with it. And two, other guys have a hard time seeing. When the headgear's on, they have a hard time seeing. That is real. I will just share with you. I did it every day. I got used to it. I knew where the blind spots were. People that wear headgear will be able to relate to what I'm saying right here. But So when Dustin lands this shot, there was no foul ball there. The fact that Dustin stepped away, there's no foul ball there. The teammate sitting down, giving the sign that I need a minute, there's nothing wrong with that either. I thought it was fun to watch. I like seeing training videos. I didn't get a big takeaway. I didn't think that Dustin threw hands harder than he should have thrown them or that he showed us a setup. I just saw two guys sparring and one guy got clipped and he sat down and said, give me a break. My official prediction for McGregor versus Poirier part three, I'm taking Poirier. But I want to break this fight down because, I mean, look, you could... In many ways, you have a toss-up, right? And the betting lines are even showing that. And the more and more people that I talk to, more and more people I hear from, you might be able to relate to this, are very excited for this fight, but not bullish one way or the other. I never hear anybody saying Poirier's going to stomp him or, oh, Connor's going to stomp him. I never hear that. I think that we all understand we're going to have a back-and-forth battle. And if we've watched these guys compete twice, we've seen that they can both get the victory. Now, I realize that I'm stating the obvious. I, I realize that. But you can go back. You can look at the intimidation that was on Dustin Poirier's face the first time he stepped into a huge high-profile fight. That opponent could have been anybody. Dustin was not going to win that night. He was a deer in the headlights, right? The lights were just too bright. Now, a much more mature Dustin Poirier that's headlining shows and fighting for championships, all of a sudden step, stepping back in with Connor, it removed that fear. And that's really what you saw. That really was the big difference with Poirier. He didn't have that same fear. He had a different belief. He understood the spot. There was no crowd. So no matter how much pressure or how high a fight appears to be, it feels smaller to the athlete. So he had a good performance by Dustin. Now I'm talking about part two, of course. But we can also identify what was wrong with Connor, which was the removal from competition for a meaningful period of time. He had one fight with Cowboy Cerrone, before that fight, it was like 500 days since he had fought. Another 365 days plus go by. I mean, look, it was a tough spot. That was the worst Connor I've ever seen. It's the worst Connor you're going to see. And I don't think any of us make believe that that's the Connor that's going to show up. You were going to have a much superior Connor McGregor in this fight. That's relevant. Because if any of you thought that was a close fight and you don't have an argument to make as to what Dustin is going to do to be even better, 
and we know for sure a better Connor is going to show up just based on logic, just because we acknowledge that ring rust is real. Do you see the problem? I didn't see a close fight there. I saw a fight that was over within the first three minutes. Conor McGregor was different and had changed and realized he was in a harder contest than he was expecting to be in within three minutes of the very first round. And now it's just a matter of how do I get out of here? How the hell do I get out of this one, right? Real thing that goes through a fighter's mind. It was going through Conor's mind. And he finally found the answer about seven and a half minutes in. Now, I only bring that to you because that's not going to happen again. That is extremely unlikely. Now, if you saw a back and forth battle, if you thought this was tit for tat, and some people have, some people have told me, "Shell, go back and watch this. This thing, this thing was a dogfight. And when Poirier took him down, Connor scooted to the fence and got right back up to his feet. That's fiction. That didn't happen. But if you think that your eyes saw something different and that this is a very close back and forth, and you have the added element of knowing that Connor is going to be superior, it's going to be a superior Connor. You might want to take McGregor in this, right? It's not as though McGregor doesn't have a way to go. He does. McGregor doesn't just have a left hand to beat you up with. He's doing very good work in the clinch as of late. He showed that with Cowboy Cerrone, some of those shoulder strikes. He broke Cowboy's nose. I mean, just for example, Connor has more ways that he can win. And if Connor plans for this to be a long, drawn out evening that is likely to go 25 minutes, he will reduce his power. He won't look for the finish, right? The old Mike Tyson expression is very true. If you look for the knockout, you will lose the decision. But if Connor makes his mind up ahead of time, and all I have to go on as a reference point is Connor versus Nate Diaz part two. I'm taking that Connor and that strategy and that outlook to the contest that he knew this is going to take some time. I'm not going to put this guy down. He took my power before. Connor might also know that with Dustin because Dustin did take his power in the second fight. So if Connor changes and looks for a strategy that is much longer and much more drawn out, and you believe it was a competitive second fight, because many of you do. Many of you, when you watched that, thought, well, this was really back and forth. I saw something different. I, I did not see a competitive fight. I saw Conor McGregor, who three minutes in, realized this isn't going to be my night. I'm talking as an athlete, right? As a guy that's done it, I just know what that look is like. So, Conor's not a bad bet, right? I think overall, that's my point. Conor's not a bad bet. You're going to see a superior Conor for sure. Is it enough to pull him out of the hole that was the second contest. There was a deficit. There was a skill deficit there. Not to mention, Connor brings a storm and there's usually nobody left standing. Connor brought the storm. When Poirier was there and realized and started to gain confidence, that's when he launched his offense. I only bring that to you because I do not think that Poirier is going to be reserved the second time. I think that he's going to go out. He's already got that confidence. The mask is off. I can deal with the left hand. He's only got two setups for it. Let's go attack him. That's ultimately what Poirier got to in the second fight. I'm submitting for you that I predict he does that earlier. Soon as the referee says go, Poirier goes on the attack. He's got a damn good offense. When he holds back and lets Connor take charge, as most every opponent of Connor does, it doesn't really go very well. I don't think that Poirier is going to do that. Look, we got a great fight to look forward to. And these guys are going to trade shots and they're going to trade some positions. I think that Poirier is going to come in at least strategically with a little bit more of a ground-heavy mindset. If he gets stuffed on those shots, if those shots aren't working, those takedowns aren't, attempts are too much energy, he'll get away from it quickly, come back to a fisticuffs, 
Great match to look forward to. Not extremely bullish on this. I'm not. I'm not bullish on this. But I am taking the diamond. Before I head out for the weekend, I want to take a moment to look beyond Saturday night and what Conor McGregor's future might hold in store. Michael Bisping came out with an interesting statement. He said he could see Conor McGregor retiring with a loss to Dustin Poirier. Now, that's pretty obvious that somebody should be speaking about that, but nobody was, and my mind never went there. I think that's because I don't, I don't know how active I look at Conor. I don't know that if I think about the division and I think about the sport, I acknowledge what a star he is, I acknowledge what a draw he is. I would be anything but a Conor hater. But I also don't know that I ever look at him as one of the guys in the division that's going anywhere. Right, he's so sporadic. We're hearing talks that he's trying to box Manny Pacquiao. I mean, just by example, he's sporadic. He's out there doing things for big attractions, and I don't know how much I've ever thought of him as a fighter on the roster that matters. And that isn't looking to slight him. I could be completely wrong. Maybe Conor wants to be the champion of the world. Maybe he wants to go out, beat Dustin Poirier, who is the number one contender, take that from him, and go and fight for the belt himself. I haven't heard him speak that way, which is one of the reasons that I haven't thought he's going to retire. He's going to continue to do things that are fun and or silly as long as they're a big attraction. But I might have it all wrong. Maybe he is a diehard competitor and he believes if he loses to Poirier, it slides him down into a hole that he can't come out of. That his days of contenderships are long gone. So what am I doing here and what am I doing it for? If And you know what? If I am wrong, if Connor looks at this and he is a diehard competitor... I would like that more. I would prefer that that be the truth. I just haven't looked at him that way because I keep hearing these weird things. Man, that, that's a weird thing to go box Manny Pacquiao, okay? That's what a weirdo would do. If you're not a boxer, don't go box. It's one of those things. But if you're looking to just go out and have a good time and you've got a different goal, which is to bring an audience and attraction, have somebody set the cameras up and go do something that the world's going to watch, and that's that's the category that I put McGregor in, but I might be putting him there falsely. I would love if somebody asked him that question. If you beat Dustin, do you plan to take on Oliveira? It will be offered to you if you want it. What will you say? And if Connor says, hell yes, I'm going to accept it, I'm coming back for my championship, I'm going to look at Connor differently. I mean, that's something based on the way that he said it. I would have to watch it, check the body language, make sure that I believed it. But if I determined that that was sincere, I might flip my pick. I believe Dustin's going to win that fight. That's Chael's pick. I'm not bullish on it. This is, Connor can definitely beat him. If I know that Connor has the hunger, wants to beat Dustin to take the number one contendership and go on and take on Oliveira, if I know that, okay, I'm not saying I hear that. I'm not saying he says these words, right? You guys know what I mean. We know when there's something sincere. We know when we believe it. If I hear that and I believe it, it's going to change my pick. Because now we are talking about a hunger. Now we are talking about a long-term play. There's not a lot of guys in the history of fighting who have ever trained for a fight and then that fight went well. There's just not a lot. There's a lot of guys that go train for a fight. They get beat and can't figure out what went wrong. Well, if that fight wasn't to get you somewhere else, why did you want to win it? Did you even want to win it? What would be the point of winning it? And while you may not know this consciously, subconsciously, which is what you turn to when you have to dig deep, when the going gets tough and you'd rather be done, but you got to stay in here and find a way to win, you got to have a reason. If you're just doing one fight for the sake of exercise with no goal to take you anywhere, it's meaningfully different whether you're conscious of that or you're just subconscious of that. 
So if Connor is going to go in here, handle his business with Poirier as a way of getting somewhere else, he has a bigger drive. There's something larger at play here. That's going to mean something for me. And that will also have meant something for Connor in his preparation for this. If this is all about just come in, handle this thing with Poirier, get my name on TMZ, and then try to find a way to, to box with Manny Pacquiao, when the going gets tough, you're going to have nothing to turn to. You're going to have no motivation. You're going to have no reason for being here, which is how I've always interpreted Connor. If any of that sounds like an insult to you, I trade place with Connor right now. That's a great spot to be in. It's not a great way to win an ass whipping contest against a nether trained ass whipper. And that's what we're talking about. So Michael Bisping is on to something here. If Connor was to lose to Dustin, where does he go? What does he do? And I understand there will always be an opportunity and there will always be options, but is that what Connor wants? It's never been a part of Connor's career where he was here to be one of the boys, right? One of his great expressions, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Well, as soon as the overtaking becomes clear that you've been overwhelmed, are you looking at an undertaking at that point? Where is your motivation? What is your drive? Why are we here? I'm telling you, when the going gets tough, if Connor has prepared for this fight just for the sake of winning this fight, and not to take that and have a bigger play. When the going gets tough and he has to turn inward and find meaning and find a reason, he's going to realize he doesn't have one. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and that you kick back Saturday night and enjoy the fights. So do that. And then come back next Wednesday because Uncle Chael will be right here and ready to make sense of everything we see. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.